Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your garden pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so delighted, as always, that you decided to join us to get into your landscapes, into your vegetable patches, into your perennial plants and shrubbery everywhere uh, you could possibly plant. We try to address from time to time today. We're going to talk about perennials. Every year, this time of year, when things are really starting to flush out and grow, Perennials are always great to talk about because perennials, remember, are those plants that come back year after year. Uh, Some of them die to the ground over winter, but don't worry. They'll have brand new stems, brand new leaves. And of course, most are going to be flowering at some point. And they'll have brand new everything uh, every year. So, uh, you know, when you're out shopping for plants this spring, you're going to be tempted, of course, to buy all kinds of plants. And I'm not downing annual plants at all. Remember annual plants? You plant them once a year. They grow, they bloom, and they die in one season. And they have a place and they have a purpose. But remember, they are short-lived. But these perennial plants, these are the plants that are the workhorses, powerhouses in the landscape, because they are going to keep your garden full of things uh, without having to replant Now, when it comes to annuals, I like to use annuals and perennials together. I encourage people to do that all the time because there are periods for many perennials. Maybe certain perennial that you're growing only blooms one time a year. Like right now, baptisias are blooming. And some have already finished. Some may be on their way to finishing. Uh, That's also called false indigo. And that's an example of a great perennial, native perennial, uh, drought-tolerant, But it's a good example of a perennial that only blooms for a short period of time. So with that being said, using annuals with those kinds of plants makes a lot of sense. Because you can get a nice show from those one-time blooming perennials and then have annual plants take over throughout the summer maybe. Or... Uh, Some perennials are going to be re-blooming perennials, but there tends to be a a bit of a lag period in between blooms. So you may have a heavy flush of blooms in the spring on, say, salvias. Then they turn brown, you chop them back, and a few weeks later, they flush out again and put out new flowers. And that can happen continuously throughout the growing season. But it's that time in between flowerings that annuals can work well with perennials. But of course, those annuals are going to be short-lived. They will only be here for a season, so you can't depend on them. But the perennial plants you surely can depend on. And we've got a great list of several today that um, 
I've noticed looking really good. Some aren't blooming yet, but the plants themselves are starting to uh, come out and put out leaves and everything. And so flower buds are setting. Some of them may already be in bloom and some may have already bloomed. But regardless, we're going to talk about some perennials that, of course, are going to be great for full sun. Some of these perennials will be full sun to part shade. And then we'll talk about some others uh, that really love being more in a shady site. So no matter, no matter where you're growing or what kind of light conditions you have. Today we will be talking about plants that anybody can plant, whether it's sun, part shade, and all the way down to shade. So if you have not joined us lately, um, be sure to uh, check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. If you need to catch up with some of our program, then we have every episode of the program there online. And of course, we're on Facebook and Instagram. You can send us questions at the end of the month. The last Saturday of the month, we will be answering questions that you have submitted to us. And of course, last week, we did so. And so you can find answers to all those great questions you've been sending to us at NewSouthernGarden.com. So let's get on now with talking about some of these great perennials. The first up that I'd like to talk about is a wonderful native perennial. Um, as a matter of fact, this particular plant has a lot of cousins and brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. There's different species of this particular plant that are uniquely native here to North America. And of course, many of these derive here in the southeast and uh, kind of spread uh, quite broadly. Naturally, it is found in meadows and uh, prairies, uh, you know, down here where we have a lot of forest. Uh, you'll see them in along roadsides, ditches, things like that. But of course, they catch gardeners' attention because they're very bright, very colorful. And we pull them out of their natural habitat and we cultivate them. Right, We put them in our gardens. We have uh, folks who are breeding them and they're hybridizing and they are selecting for different colors, different shades of colors and different growing heights and things. And so it's really become a great plant for the garden. And you may know this plant by one of two names. Its botanical name is Coreopsis. Coreopsis and also its uh, common name is Tick Seed. Tick seed. It does have tiny little seeds um, that are nice and round and dark like a tick, I guess. I don't know necessarily that's how it got its name, but their seeds um, are <laughs> like a small little baby tick, maybe. I don't know if that's how it got its name, but the Coreopsis in general are very bright, and they are quite colorful in many shades of yellow in particular. But since breeding has been going on, and since people have been crossing and hybridizing and doing all these cool things with them, uh, you also get shades of white and cream, reds, nearly pinks and burgundies. To me, the flowers themselves look a lot like maybe um, Cosmos. You know, that's an annual. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So Cosmos are not from here. They, they uh, die over winter. The first frost we get, they're gone. Uh, but you sort of get this nice Cosmo-like flower uh, from some of the Coreopsis, and one in particular, Coreopsis uh, verticiliata, or threadleaf Coreopsis. Now, threadleaf Coreopsis is a plant that has very fern-like foliage, very fern-like foliage. So the leaves are real thin, strap-like, and it is a lot like threads, and that gives a great texture 
in any of your perennial beds. If you have plants with big, broad leaves, wide, flat leaves, then these thread-like leaves are going to really look great up against anything like that. And to kind of relate this back to the cosmos, this particular Coreopsis probably looks the most like cosmos because it does have a very uh, thin foliage like cosmos do. Uh, but particularly, you will find different shades of blossom with the th uh, thread leaf Coreopsis. Yellow is very standard, and then there's Moonbeam, which is a, uh, it is a yellow, but it's a pale, very pale, pushing the whites. Uh, and then there's a number of thread leaves that even have uh, variegation on the, on the foliage. I can't think of the name of one that just came to mind, uh, but it has uh, yellow petals with like red speckles on the petals really attractive and really pretty. And so be sure to check out some of the thread leaf Coreopsis. Uh, I've got one called Zagreb. <laughs> Not a great name, but Zagreb. And it does love full sun. The Coreopsis in general, keeping in mind that they come uh, naturally, are naturally are found growing in open, prairie-like, meadow-like situations, and they never really deal with much shade. With that being said, you could probably do some part shade if you happen to have it, but just know that any of the Coreopsis are going to love as much sun as you can possibly give them. The great thing about the Zagreb that I have is a nice yellow, uh, bright yellow flower. They're quite short, and this is something we should probably talk about. Uh, Zagreb is maybe be only 18 inches tall, but many of the Coreopsis uh, can get quite tall, maybe three feet, maybe taller, just depends on uh, its breeding and how it has been um, cultivated, uh, selected for, for height. So if height is a problem for you, know that there are both large uh, Coreopsis and there are short Coreopsis. Most of the Coreopsis we're seeing that are coming out that are new uh, have different color patterns. They also have different heights and particularly shorter heights nowadays. As we've talked before, we don't live in a world where uh, everybody's on large acres or farms. Now we're living in suburbs, right? And so our plots of land are becoming smaller. And so the demand for plants is becoming. Uh, for small plants, looking people are looking for small plants. And so with that in mind, just before you uh, go out and get Coreopsis, know that some of them can get quite large. And keep that in mind, depending on which variety you're looking at. But as far as their hardiness, how hardy are they? How much cold can they handle? Well, Threadleaf Coreopsis, most of them are going to be zoned down to Zone 3. Now keep in mind, up here in Northeast Georgia, we are in Zone 6. Seven. Some of us are in zone B and uh, sorry, uh, zone. Yes, zone zone eight, seven and eight. Uh, but the further we go in the mountains, we maybe get to six and whatnot. This baby can go to zone three, which is northwest Wisconsin. Okay, think about how cold that is. It can handle negative forty degrees, negative forty degrees. So don't worry if we have a weird winter like we did this past year where we are down into the single digits, that's nothing for the Coreopsis, particularly this threadleaf Coreopsis, negative 40 degrees. Another great thing about most Coreopsis is that they are clumping type perennials. They don't necessarily run with long stems underground. They pretty much keep to themselves in nice tight clumps, maybe up to 18 inches or so. Uh, some could be more. Now, with that being said, 
even though they don't necessarily spread with these underground stems, they can spread by reseeding. Now, you know, like I know, that reseeding can be a thing you love or it can be a thing you hate. So keep this in mind that if you have Coreopsis and they are prolific at reseeding, you could love that because you'll have more plants. You'll have baby plants. You can move around, give away, uh, put in other areas. But then if you don't have a lot of space, uh, if you do get some reseeding from your Coreopsis, which again could be very possible, in some cases most likely, then you may reconsider or just be sure that as you learn what a Coreopsis seedling looks like, or any reseeding plant for that matter, once you know what its seedling looks like, you can pull them out, prick them out, take them out of the ground, and destroy them so they don't take over any given area. But the plant itself is not going to spread with stems and suckers and things like that. They may reseed, but I think it's, a, it's either a love or a hate kind of thing. Of course, uh, doesn't need a whole lot of water. Keep in mind that Coreopsis is that prairie, meadow, grassland-like plant, wildflower-like plant, and um, they don't necessarily like wet feet. So maybe moderate water needs, uh, you could list it at that, making sure that they stay moist but not wet. And during periods of drought, they may not be the first ones that need water, but of course, just like anything. If it has been dry and they are wilting, uh, you will probably need to supply just a bit of water. But for the most part, if it's established and growing in the ground for a couple of years at least, then you should not have to water it regularly by any means. And it's not a bad idea, well, like any of the perennials we're talking about today, to uh, amend the soil with organic matter, well-rotted leaves, compost, manure, things like that, being sure to bust up any hard clays and incorporating that organic matter. These plants are, again, those meadow prairie plants, and they usually grow where there is very deep topsoil. So here in the southeast, we have very shallow topsoil. So trying to create a situation that these plant babies you're adding in uh, mimicking where they naturally grow will benefit and of course organic matter just helps to hold on to water but also to uh, drain water well from the soil now with that in mind don't forget about threadleaf coreopsis this is a great native perennial uh, kind of exclusively native to the southeast and the united states there are plenty of other coreopsis uh, out there some with broad leaves some with different shaped flowers we could go on and on we could have an entire show mr producer about uh, these kinds of plants coreopsis but i think you'll really like this feathery uh, fern-like thread leaf uh, coreopsis hang on tight gang we've got more perennials for your garden when we get back from this break Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are giving some different and new perennials a go. Uh, Some of these aren't necessarily brand new for 2023 by any means, but they may be new to you. Some of them um, maybe need to be rediscovered. (laughs) We were talking before the break, of course, about threadleaf coreopsis in particular, but all of the coreopsis make a great garden perennial. They're quite hardy, which means, of course, they can handle the coldest temperatures we have here, so they return quite reliably. Sometimes, and this kind of goes for many perennials, maybe even most perennials, when we have very wet and particularly cold winters, some perennials just can't make it through that. So in this case, kind of generally speaking, when we're planting perennials of any kind, It's a good idea to uh, loosen up the soil in that planting space with organic matter and maybe even planting these perennials on a mounded bed so that we have a couple four inches of height above the ground that can really help uh, the plant's roots stay on the, I don't want to say drier side, but not on the wet side over winter. Moist is usually always okay, generally speaking, but wet really only works for certain plants that can actually handle their roots being wet all the time. So what is it? Let's take a break from uh, plants and let me just kind of uh, re-enunciate this. I'm not doing very well, am I? (laughs) Let me just sort of clarify the difference between wet and moist. So the idea behind wet is that soggy, log, waterlogged soils, okay? Things that drain very slowly, very poorly, maybe not at all. However, A moist situation is where there is water present, but not completely. There's about as much air in the soil as there is water in the soil. And of course, by using organic matter, whether it's well-rotted leaves, compost, manure, things like that, soil conditioners, we call them all kinds of things, but they all are going to benefit busting up heavy, wet clay soils and helping them drain more freely and uh, really just drain better and keep the plant's roots from sitting or standing in water. So the next plant today that I'd like to go with is going to give us a beautiful shade of purple. I say purple, but there's nearly a touch of blue and then parts of the um, plant have just these little pink inflections. It's a great color. Now, this particular plant has been around for a while, so it's not necessarily new, but I really haven't seen it for maybe a decade. I haven't seen it in the trade for about a decade, even though certain people are still growing it. I think we need to continue to grow this plant. This is the hardy geranium or crane's bill that is called Roseanne. Roseanne is that classic purple, sort of some blue in there with touches of pink. And she is probably one of the most colorful crane's bill or hardy geranium that you could find. Now, before we go talking more and more about Roseanne, let's sort of clarify what we're talking about when we say Cranesbill or hardy geranium. So hardy geranium 
is a plant that is a true geranium that can be quite tolerant of cold weather. As a matter of fact, uh, Roseanne is about a zone five to zone eight. So we are right in the sweet spot for Roseanne. She usually doesn't have a problem with winter unless her, weeder, or her, her feet are wet over winter. But hardy geranium is much different than the geraniums you're seeing right now in those maybe terracotta pots or big kind of uh, uh, planters for Mother's Day. And, you know, a, a geranium makes a great gift for summer. Uh, but those geraniums are just commonly called geranium. They're actually pelargoniums, pelargoniums. And those are tropical plants that do not like frost. However, hardy geranium, which is a true geranium, uh, botanically speaking, can withstand our coldest temperatures here in northeast Georgia. So you get a similar looking flower, but the pelargoniums or the geraniums like for the patio and the porch, those tropical things have a cluster of a geranium-like flower, and usually they're suspended in the air on those very thin, wiry-like stems. However, these hardy geraniums tend to be very low-growing to the ground, creeping and crawling just a few inches tall, um, maybe up to two feet in some cases, but they're not necessarily these very tall bloomers. Their blooms are held kind of shortly to the plant, and each plant has, uh, each flowering um, section of the plant has maybe a cluster of just a few flowers. Whereas, of course, with our patio geraniums, they have a big cluster that nearly creates a big flower ball in the air. So hardy geraniums, if you're not familiar with them, I think you'll fall in love with them. They're quite dainty. They're delicate. Just like any geranium, they kind of snap, break easy. So that gives you an opportunity to root a new one if you do break a branch. And you can just have more of these in the ground. But of course, they have a series of about uh, five petals around this open center. Uh, and right in the middle, there's the, of course, the uh, reproductive parts of the flower. But they too are a bit attractive and can be quite colorful. So let's talk more about this Roseanne. She is sort of a good plant to... Uh, skirt underneath taller things. I think that uh, the threadleaf coreopsis, like we talked about in the last break or before the last break, partners well with this Roseanne uh, hardy geranium for a few reasons. Roseanne has very big leaves compared to uh, the coreopsis. So you'll have a big leaf beside the threadleaf with the coreopsis. And that can make a great textural component. But then again, the flower color, this kind of rich, almost iridescent purple with touches of blue and pink, looks really good beside the bright yellow of any Coreopsis. So from a color standpoint, Roseanne is not hard, not hard at all, to mix in with other plants. I think that purples and yellows are some of the easiest colors to add to other colors. So yellow and purple both look good with oranges. They both can look good uh, with reds and even blues, of course. And so don't be scared to use Roseanne almost any and everywhere, as long as she can get full sun to part shade. So if you can give her at least um, four hours or more of direct sunlight, four, 
five, six, eight, all day long, she will do okay. She will do just fine. So again, this plant, the hardy geraniums tend to be lower. Roseanne is only about 20 inches tall, and you could space them about 24 inches apart, even though in her life she might get a little little wider than that. That's okay. She can be right along the edge of a walkway and fit just nicely. You know, that space, it's always hard to fill the space between uh, a patio and the planting bed or the edge of a walkway or a pathway, maybe the edge of a pool or something like that. She can really just grace that edge and she'll soften. Whatever your pathway is made of, some of her plant parts will spill over into the pathway and just soften the harsh edge, that concrete or decking uh, may present. So great for the edges, but of course we don't want to put her to the back of the border because she's not very tall, maybe only 20 inches tall. Now of course bloom time, she starts up about early summer. Uh, really I've seen some uh, Roseanne's blooming right now. Of course the ones at the nursery are and they she will continue to bloom for you uh, until probably the first frost sometime in autumn. Super long bloomer. Does she need deadheading? Not necessarily, but if you do deadhead your hardy geraniums, if you ever need to cut them back, they respond well to that. She'll, they'll put out new growth and new blooms in just a couple of weeks or so, and they won't disappoint you. They won't disappoint you. So keep this uh, girl in mind. Of course, Roseanne is her name. It's full sun to maybe part shade, only about 20 inches tall. Handles cold winter very well because she can grow as cold as zone 5, uh, maybe not much higher than that. Keeping the soil moist is going to be a good idea, but not wet, not wet. She doesn't want to stay wet. <laughs> so with that in mind, this plant, the Roseanne or any of the hardy geraniums are a great addition to your perennial borders, your perennial gardens, and they just return year after year, spread a bit at nearly a ground cover. So give that a shot. Roseanne Cranesbill or Roseanne hardy geranium. After this break, gang, more perennials, great perennials for your landscape. Hang on tight. For the world to behold, stories of Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, welcome back to the second half of today's program here on New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm delighted that you've decided to join us today or to continue joining us for today's program, which, of course, we are walking through the perennial garden and looking at some different... I don't think I've talked about many of these before. If I have, it's just briefly... And I was just uh, thinking as I was seeing plants coming out this spring, how pretty certain things are and how unique others are. And today, these are some that have just caught my eye this spring, and I thought I'd share them with you. Some things you may not see too commonly, but things that you maybe should start to look for and start to grow. During the break, I was just thinking that it would be wonderful if every plant company or people who produce those plant tags, you know, when you're shopping for plants and you see those pretty little tags, some have pictures on them, some don't. 
But I think it'd be wonderful if every company who produced those tags would include one bit of information that you don't see much, you don't see it often, and that is the country of origin of these plants or the region of the world that these plants come from because it's so unique you know we actually here in the southeast have a climate that's very similar to similar to parts of asia china maybe japan to some degree and many of the plants we use in the landscape uh, originate from that part of the world and of course they can grow here because we have a similar climate now we don't grow very many plants that are say uh, native to the Mediterranean. There's a few things, rosemary, lavender, and even those can have their, their drawbacks with our, as far as climate's concerned. But uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to know where every little plant comes from? We've got another plant here that is another native to our area, to the southeast, to uh, North America. We were talking about the Coreopsis, and of course Coreopsis is a wonderful North American native. But now I'd like to draw your attention to flocks, garden flocks, garden flocks, or the tall flocks. This flocks is a flocks that um, is from our area. It doesn't have a whole lot of problems except for one, <laughs> and we'll get to that. But thank goodness through breeding and other things, uh, that is not as big of a problem as long as we're selective. So garden phlox is a wonderful plant. It has these huge panicles of flowers. Think of the limelight hydrangea. You know, they've got these huge cone-shaped flowers. Well, so does the garden phlox. They have these very tall uh, stems, upright tent stems, and of course with some breeding, those stems aren't quite as tall as they once were, but in many cases, some phloxes could be three, five feet tall. I've seen them maybe even taller than a person, but it is glorious. It is gorgeous. It's wonderful to see these huge panicles, and remember the word panicle we use a lot in horticulture, uh, panicled hydrangea, panicle type flower. And that means sort of the shape of a mason's trowel, which is nearly, what, triangular, right? So cone-shaped, cone-shaped. And this flower or this plant has flowers that are cone-shaped. Um, however, let's go ahead and talk about a drawback from the garden flocks. Garden flocks suffers from a disease, powdery mildew in particular, powdery mildew. Most phloxes do, and it's becoming a problem in our area. Of course, powdery mildew with extra moisture in the air, which we have humidity here in the southeast. If you're new here and uh, just joining us in this part of the world, maybe you haven't been through a summer yet, but you'll find out pretty quickly uh, that we have sort of a wet heat. It's always quite moist, and that can encourage that can encourage powdery mildew to be a problem. Makes the plants look ugly. Of course, powdery mildew is a disease, a fungal disease that leaves this. Um, it kind of looks like flour, doesn't it? Uh, sort of a dusting of white over the leaves, and that's sort of the classic, uh, classic sign that powdery mildew is a problem. Other plants get it, and it's in our area, so there's no doubt that powdery mildew could be a problem for your garden flocks. The best thing, of course, is to not water your garden flocks uh, by getting the leaves wet or moist. When we water garden flocks, we really need to stick the hose, the watering wand, down at the base of the plant, trying to keep the leaves as dry as possible. Now, people, when I tell people to water like that, they say, well, what about rainfall? 
it's going to get on the leaf. It does. I mean, there's nothing you and I can stop rainfall. But if we're going to add any more water to a garden flocks or a plant that suffers from powdery mildew, the best thing to do is try to keep the leaves as dry as possible. And so when you water, don't wet the leaves. Don't wet the leaves. But garden flocks comes in a variety of colors from pinks to reds, purples, whites. Those are kind of the main colors. Um, I haven't, I don't know about yellow. It seems like I remember something that was quite creamy that kind of looked yellow. Um, but uh, there is a wide variety of color that you can choose from. But knowing that these plants suffer from powdery mildew kind of limits the options you may have to keeping uh, a plant that is beautiful and doesn't suffer from powdery mildew. What I mean is that there are some great new introductions that are quite resistant to powdery mildew. So when you are shopping for garden flocks, be sure to look for varieties that do have a bit of this resistance to powdery mildew and you will have a prettier plant and maybe less aggravation with trying to keep it powdery mildew free. Of course, if any plant comes down with a disease like powdery mildew at the end of the year, just be sure to clean all of that old foliage off, rake the leaves that have fallen away from the growing area, maybe even replace the mulch in that immediate area and dispose of it. Get it off the property, put it in the green waste or whatever, uh, or burn it if it's foliage, uh, and get it out of there because allowing infected leaves to rest over winter in that planting area can encourage the problem again next year. Now, let's talk about a specific garden flocks, which looks really good and also is a bit uh, resistant to this powdery mildew. It's a newer one called Flame Purple, Flame Purple Garden Flocks, and it's quite short compared to the other. So if you have a small landscape or you don't need something that's as tall as a person, uh, this one's only about 24 inches, maybe a little shorter, probably when it's blooming is when it will be at its highest. Um, not quite, not quite wide, maybe 12 to 24 inches wide. So they'll make this cute little, uh, upright, uh, fluff ball of flowers with those great cone shaped and, and a nice purple, nice sort of, uh, hot purple. It's got a good name, Flame Purple, and it really shows up. They really show up. When it comes to, to these garden phloxes, like I was getting at, be sure to look for disease resistance. Uh, a few years ago, there was an introduction in the world of garden phlox called David. David, and it is this pure white, very beautiful flower, very impressive. But it was really the first plant that people noticed this thing is not getting powdery mildew. All of the others got powdery mildew, but this one didn't. And so since then, they've been using that white David garden flocks to breed with to make babies that hopefully would be disease resistant. And we have to give the credit to David, <laughs> David the garden flocks, because he has helped, <laughs> I'm calling these kind of personifying these uh, plants. He has helped produce a long lineage of new garden flocks. There was almost a lull, almost a forgetting. People were, were nearly forgetting about garden flocks and giving up on it because of that powdery mildew. So I don't bring this plant to the table today to aggravate or cause any problems in your landscape. 
But I do want to say that I think the garden phloxes are more worthy of us using them nowadays, thanks to David, because we have a larger number of plants that are quite disease resistant, particularly to this powdery mildew. Now, the garden phlox is a summer bloomer. It is a summer bloomer. If you deadhead them, you will probably continue to get blossoms. If you don't deadhead them, they may not bloom as well for you because they may try to produce their seed. And once a plant has produced its seed for the year, it's pretty much done. So deadhead really any of these perennials we're talking about today, but be sure to deadhead your garden flocks. And when you deadhead garden flocks, you can cut down the stem pretty far and that will shrink its size. And it will also send up as a response very strong straight stems that should give you an even more impressive bloom. So don't just trim the tips. Be sure to trim a good bit of the stem down below the dead flower and you will receive a bounty of many, many more. Garden flocks. Look for flame purple and that's a whole series with the flames. There's a, a number of colors. Now, that plant, of course, kind of concludes us talking about full sun. That one, the garden phlox, goes full sun to part shade. But we've got a couple more that we're going to talk about today. A couple more perennials that are getting us into the shade garden. The shade garden. Um, let's start with bleeding heart. Bleeding heart. I don't know if you're familiar with bleeding heart. And as the name suggests, there is a bit of a bleeding heart on this plant. And it all comes from the flower. So let's talk about the flower first. The shape of a bleeding heart flower is, you guessed it, it's a heart, a heart shaped. So right as the, uh, the, the plant is attached at the top of this heart, it's almost like a, a little stem on an apple, okay? And then the uh, shoulders of the heart rise up, and then it sort of flares out at the bottom. And once you get past the shoulders, flares up, and then down at the bottom, you sort of have this spilling of the heart. This sounds very grotesque, doesn't it? But it's very beautiful. Uh, nature has really uh, given us a plant that is quite intriguing with the bleeding heart. So you do have this sort of spilling at the bottom is the best way to describe it uh, that looks like a bleeding heart. I, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. You need to look up photos. It's hard to describe sometimes uh, in, in, uh, in uh, spoken word. But you can start planting bleeding hearts or dicentra. Isn't that a wonderful name? Dicentra. You can start planting these in the part shade and then continue planting them into shade. But we really don't want to put them in all day hot sun. So if we can get at least maybe up to five hours of sun, preferably morning sun or less, we'd be doing all right. Now the bleeding heart in general are quite robust. By the time the year is over, they could be three feet by three feet each way. But don't worry, it's not like a shrub. All of the leaves, all of the stems die back over winter and they retreat underground. So keep that in mind. Most of the, well, for all of the winter, this plant is disappeared. It's gone. It's mainly just roots under the soil. But then in the spring, they start emerging, and that's when they start blooming. They're great spring bloomers. Uh, we still have a few putting out uh, blossoms. We're going to talk about one that can push on into summer. But generally speaking, they are 
true spring bloomers. Quite cold hardy, they can handle down to zone two. That's negative 50 degrees. So for you and me, that is not really a problem uh, one bit. Negative 50 degrees. They're quite upright. They sort of uh, send these long canes out of the ground um, and then have a bit of spreading uh, so they can fit Kind of give it a space like you would a shrub. Give it a three-foot space. Let it spread and sprawl out, and uh, will be wonderful. Don't keep your bleeding hearts too wet. Don't keep your bleeding hearts too wet because uh, they are uh, very dependent on their root system to survive over winter. And if it stays too cold and wet all winter long, then they may rot. They really may rot. So make sure that bleeding heart is in well-drained soil, in the part shade to shade, and she'll do wonderful. When I get back from this break, I'm going to talk to you about gold heart, bleeding heart. So hang on tight. We'll be right back. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we're talking about some great perennials from your landscape. We're walking from the sun landscape to the shade landscape. So if you've missed any part of today's program, we're already down to the shade area. And if you have shade, well, stay right here. But if you don't have shade, you have sun, and you missed that part of today's program, well, feel free to check it out online at NewSouthernGarden.com or on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Because New Southern Garden is also a podcast that you can access online at any time. Uh, With that being said, we were talking about bleeding heart before the break. Bleeding heart. Now, that is a wonderful plant that, of course, has these heart-shaped like flowers. And right at the bottom is this sort of... uh, I don't want to keep making it sound so so grotesque here, but the bottom, it just spills out. Things sort of spill out like it's a bleeding heart. Great name and a great plant for the shade to part shade. Uh, But there is a variety of bleeding heart called gold heart that has very chartreuse yellow foliage. And that looks great with those pink heart-shaped blossoms. It's got these long arching stems with the flowers dangling off in front, pink flowers dangling off in front of that yellow chartreuse foliage. Very colorful. Uh, The the basic color of the uh, bleeding heart leaf is blue-green, which is nice. But the gold heart gives you a beautiful bright. So if you've got a shady side, it's just too dark and you want to brighten it up, think about the gold heart dicentra. 
wonderful landscape plant. I don't see it too often in people's landscapes. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of folks uh, up our way here that grow under trees and in shade, and we should be using that everywhere we can. The deer and the rabbits do not like it. They don't like it. So I don't know why we're not growing more of that. Well, the last plant I think we'll have time for today gets its name. Uh, let me back up. So a few hundred years ago, <laughs> People started classifying plants by the way they looked in relation to parts of the human body. It was early kind of medical thought. Of course, it does not hold true. Uh, but in other words, if a leaf had a heart shape, or if a flower had a heart shape, then it may get its name uh, based on the fact that it looks like a human heart. And then the medical people at the time, not nowadays, but they thought that if it was shaped like a kidney, the plant was shaped like a kidney, then it must be useful for your kidneys. Of course, that was not true. <laughs> but some of those names hung around. And today, this next plant is definitely one uh, that we that has held its old name based on looking like a human part of the body. Lungwort is the plant. Lungwort. And the leaves are sort of in the shape of a human lung. At least that's what these people a few hundred years ago thought. And they did think that it was very good for your pulmonary system. So the botanical name of lungwort is pulmonaria. Pulmonaria. There's a bit of history with this plant. Pulmonaria used to be used. Used to be used for... Uh, treatment of lung and pulmonary disease, but um, did not work out, did not work out. But nowadays, it is used because it's a beautiful plant that does not mind part shade to shade. And there is a great new pulmonary or lungwort called Spot On, Spot On. It's a quite low-growing plant. The Most of the leaves, most of the plant will be quite short, maybe under 8 inches. But when it blooms, it will have a flower spike up to, oh, maybe 16, maybe a foot and a half or so. Um, but uh, So quite low. It can go along the edge of your bed. It can go in front of your tall, robust plants like hydrangeas and gardenias and things. But the uh, spot on gets its name because it has a variegated foliage that, of course, has little spots. And that is pretty common for many of the lungworts. Uh, but in this case, we have a sort of bluish green leaf with gray spots all on the foliage. Now, it is particularly a uh, bloomer, uh, sorry, a late spring bloomer. It is a bloomer, but it blooms particularly in late spring. Uh, and it doesn't bloom maybe forever, for very long. However, uh, you can enjoy that foliage. That is the reason we grow pulmonaria, is for the foliage. But let me describe to you the uh, blossoms. They have a very unique salmon pink bud that transitioned to a rich blue flower. That is one of the greatest things about pulmonaria or uh, lungwort is that their blossom color tends to change and spot on is spot on with that. It definitely changes color very well. But don't worry, even after the last flower has fallen, those silvery speckling dust on green leaves is going to keep it attractive color 
all year long. Now, what are some plants that this could work well with? Well, ferns for sure, or carex, sedges. Those kinds of plants are going to have that kind of... Uh, uh, fine foliage, right? Ferns have the fern foliage and the grasses, the grass-like plants have those very thin leaves. This is a broadleaf plant. So from a textural perspective, putting it beside something with thin, small leaves will work really well. But then again, for color, you could go with some coral bells, some hostas, ligularia, if you have that. Jacob's ladder, great, uh, great plant for this kind of situation in the shade. And all of those could look really well with a spot on. I wouldn't have a problem growing spot on with the dicentra. Just put the dicentra or that bleeding heart we talked about earlier, put that to the back and the uh, pulmonaria, uh, the lungwort to the front, and you will have a great beautiful show even in the shade don't feel embarrassed because you have shade don't give up because you have shade there are plenty of plants that can grow in a shady site and these perennials that we've talked about some of these perennials we talked about today uh, will do a good job for you in the part shade to shade so spot on pulmonaria don't look at it and think that it looks like a, a lung and use it medicinally that's been done a long time ago, and it didn't work. But pulmonaria is, even though it's not a cure for pulmonary diseases, it can be a cure for those shady sites that really need a pop of color. That really need a pop of color. Well, gang, uh, we're coming up close to the end of the program, so I'd, I'd like to go ahead and run through the plants that we've already talked about just to remind you. Let's walk from the sunny site down to the shady site. Of course, in the sun, full sun all day, we've got Coreopsis of any kind. We talked about the threadleaf Coreopsis today. Roseanne can do that sun to part shade. She loves it too. And then the garden phloxes, despite the fact that we struggle with powdery mildew, if you get a phlox that's been bred to be resistant to powdery mildew, garden flocks can go in that full sun or into part shade situations. And then as we get into further shady sites, don't forget about the bleeding heart. I mentioned the one that's called gold heart, bleeding heart, which of course gives you that bright yellow with the yellow leaves with a, a pink flower. And then lastly, the pulmonaria or for a better term, lungwort, spot on. Spot on lungwort is going to look really hot and do a good job in the shade. So gang, thank you for joining us for New Southern Garden today. I hope that I've given you some ideas, some inspiration to do something new, something different. I hope that you'll give these a try. Give it a go. Give them a go like Eden Rose says and get, whether you're in the sun or the shade, get some perennials going. Well gang, for New Southern Garden and... WRWH 93.9 FM. My name is Nathan Wilson. I hope you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. 